Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Melissa De La Cruz, the New York Times best-selling young adult author of multiple series, including The Al Pairs, The Blue Bloods, and The Beauchamp Family. She also wrote the original novels for Disney's Descendants franchise. She has done just so, so many incredible things. She has a new book out called The Headmaster's List, which is described as one of us is lying meets Riverdale. It is definitely a very, very thrilling edge of your CYA thriller. Uh, There is a fatal car crash that goes on. And then all these teens kind of come together to uncover the truth about what really happened. It's really, really incredible delightful book. I think you're going to love it. Our conversation today is all about something she's super passionate about, and that is being a mom, but not just being a mom, but being a mom to young and now growing slightly older students. Uh, It's really, really interesting. She talks about basically being um, what you might think of as like a room mom as her kids were growing up and all these different things. But what's really interesting about this conversation is we get into how Her children's friends have sort of become her alpha and beta readers of her books because they are the exact, uh, you know, people who she would want to read her books. So just really, really fascinating. Uh, Melissa has had an incredible career, not just as an author, but she is the founder of several very popular book festivals, which we talk about. And she has also had a long, long career in Hollywood that we get into. Just a whole bunch of really interesting things that we jump all around in, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Before we get to that conversation, I want to give you a quick book recommendation. I finished The Night Ship by Jess Kidd. Uh, I really, really enjoyed Jess Kidd's previous book, Things in Jars, which is why I picked up The Night Ship. And this book is two different timelines, and it's based on a real-life event, this epic historical um, shipwreck that occurred in the 1600s. I did not know that going in, and I found myself wondering throughout the first part of the book, like, wow, how did you come up with this incredible story? Uh, It's still phenomenal, but it makes sense that she found this very, very fascinating story of the shipwrecked Batavia. It is one of the uh, kind of most famous, I guess, maritime disasters. And there's mutiny and there's all sorts of things that happen. Uh, one of the timelines is basically following that ship on its doomed journey. And the other timeline is in 1989, when a lonely boy named Gil is living off the coast of Western Australia in this like seasonal fishing community with his grandfather. And he feels very, very secluded and he doesn't have any friends. He struggles to fit in. 
Uh, and the story goes back and forth between these two timelines and slowly but surely they're connected and there seems to be some like hints of magic in here and you wonder what's going on, how they're able to sort of connect. It really, really grew on me the more and more I, I kept with it. So I really think you'll enjoy that, especially if you're a fan of maritime books. So that is The Night Ship by Jess Kidd. If you want any book recommendations from me, you can always shoot me an email at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. Uh, send me any ratings or reviews you've done of this podcast, and I will give you some customized book recommendations. Also, if you want to send me any of the things you are passionate about, you can send it to that same email address. I love reading those, and I give away a bookshop.org gift card every single month to one random person who has sent me their passions. So feel free to do that. And you can always find me on TikTok and Instagram at Passions and Prologues. Okay, that's enough housekeeping. I am so, so excited for you to listen to this conversation with Melissa De La Cruz, New York Times bestselling author of The Headmaster's List on Passions and Prologues. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Okay, Melissa, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? (laughs) You know, it's funny when uh, I found out I was going to be on Passions uh, and the podcast, I thought, oh, my God, what what am I passionate about? And when you're describing, you know, something that gets authors to light up. You know, uh, one thing that I really am passionate about that I tell writers to do is to really dig into your personal life, you know, not Mm -hmm. just your professional life. And for me, you know, my personal life uh, for a long time was I was a brew mom for my daughter's class. So, yeah, I even got an award, (laughs) you know, (sighs) the end of elementary school, you get like a little award. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, that was part of it. She's not in elementary school anymore, but, you know, for, you know, whatever, seven years from kindergarten to sixth grade, you know, I was just really a passionate mom and I was a full-time mom and a full-time writer, you know, in such a way that I was, you know, to me, my identity when I was with my family, and this is still, you know, something that, you know, nobody in my family is at all impressed by anything that I do outside of it, you know? I mean, my career is just so, you know, I mean, just so outside of who I am Mm -hmm. when I'm at home. It's almost like, oh, yeah, mom has to go on tour. That's weird. (laughs) You know, mom's always just here for us, like into us. And uh, 
<laughs> I love this so much. So my, I am the youngest of four siblings, and uh, one of my one of my two sisters has four kids, and my one of my and my brother has three kids, and my sister. They're both incredible parents, but my sister has has four kids, and I feel like you two are kindred spirits because this is very much like she's a full time mom, but she also is a lawyer, and she does like these incredible TikToks about the law where she's like got this big following and she's, but she like is such a, such a, a mom of these kids and she's so involved in everything. So I want to know, how did you kind of get into this, like becoming sort of the, like you said, like the classroom mom, how does, how does one get into that? You know, it's weird because uh, I, I so remember, and I was a writer, you know, um, for 10 years before I had, uh, we have one daughter before I had our, our kid. And so my entire life, you know, before that was just all about my career and all about writing. I worked in magazines, I was a journalist. And then, you know, I was just writing all the time. I worked from like, you know, because I, you know, we didn't have kids, like we, I would write until like two or 5am. I was told night out, you know, I would have like, my life, you know, where I did whatever I wanted. And then at night is when I wrote. So that was, that was how I worked. And, and, and having a kid just threw everything off, you know, I could not write at night, you know, I did not have the time to do that. And so I had to completely rewire my brain. And I didn't think that I would like being a mom at all, because I was kind of the person who didn't like kids at all. <laughs> you know, I was a terrible babysitter, you know, and I thought, I thought kids were mostly really annoying. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and yeah, it surprised me because, you know, when my baby was one, one of my best friends, who's a TV uh, showrunner was like, Oh, how did, and she didn't have kids at the time. She said, how, how do you like being a mom? And I said, God, I hate it. You know, it's so exhausting. And, you know, I'm just so not, you know, the person for this, you know, all the carrying the baby. I, my my uh, husband always carried the baby because I could not carry the baby. I wasn't strong enough. to. I would be tired. My arms would literally I was like not physically capable of the baby stuff. Um, and then, you know, and then I just got oh, I think what happened was I was always working when she was in preschool and, you know, and we had a nanny. And I had the nanny give out the birthday invites for her uh, third uh, third birthday because I thought I went to, you know, I didn't know any of the moms, but every time we got invited to a birthday party, we would show up, you know, just because you you had to. And I just thought people would do that for me, you know, even if they didn't know me, you know, then they got an invite from the nanny that they showed up because I showed up to everybody else's birthday and I didn't know them. But, you know, I was a number and here's my three year old. And we had this party and literally only one mom showed up, one mm -hmm. out of like the preschool class of 20 whose other birthday parties we'd been to. And I was just so floored. I told my sister, why didn't anybody come to Maddie's birthday? And she said, you have to befriend the moms. They're not going to come if they don't know you. And I said, what? Really? Like, <laughs> like I went to everybody's party. I didn't know, you know. Mm -hmm. So she said, no, you got to put in the time. If you want Maddie to have friends, if you want her to have a life, you got to put in the time and get to know these people. And I said, oh, my God. But when she told me that, I said, OK, I'm going all in. So mm -hmm. starting kindergarten, I was like the most social person <laughs> at the school. I literally, you know, just had a whole completely different personality and just decided that, you know, my daughter was going to be part of it. We were never going to have that debacle again. 
weekend of nobody coming to our party because nobody knew me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was six years of being uh, completely into it. I would do all my mom work. So, yeah. I, lo- I love the idea of you saying like how exhausting it was like being a mom when, when your daughter was really young. But then like, I have to imagine doing all of the like, the room mom stuff. Like I, I see my sister again, like how involved she is with, with their schools and how and that, that must've been like an entire, cause there's so much of like, um, like a hierarchy and politics when it comes to like school oh, yes. classes and everything. How, like that had to be exhausting too, I imagine. Right. You know, it was funny because it is all these like little politics and little dramas. And um, and I, you know, it, I did not find it exhausting. I found it kind of uh, invigorating. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, I'll be right in there with the gossip and with <laughs> and with the elbows out and, you know, figuring out who we liked and who we didn't. You know, <laughs> you know, I when I moved to L.A. 20 years ago, you know, I thought about uh, writing for Hollywood just because I was lonely. You know, because mm-hmm. when you write uh, books, yeah, when, when you're an author, it's a very, uh, you know, solitary career. And but when you write for TV, it's very collaborative and you get to see a lot of people. But I didn't really like to have that kind of group work in my work. So mm-hmm. being a room mom and being part of the school, I was able to have that kind of social aspect of life without it affecting my career. So I think that's why I was really into it. <laughs> yeah. So did, did it feel like because I mean, anyone who knows your work, like you, you, know, you write for all ages, but like some of your most popular, like most beloved stories are for, you know, younger readers. And so did you feel like the, was there any connection between all of the interaction you were having with these young kids and the parents and everything and how you're, you know, writing about these different relationships and families and things in your stories? Or was it wholly separate for you? No, not separate at all. You know, and uh, I was a when I started uh, the Descendants uh, books, my daughter was in first grade. And when they came out, um, the first book came out, she was in second grade. And uh, literally all the class and and my kid were all in the Disney commercials, Mm -hmm. you know, all all the kids saying we're so excited for the book are all are all my kid and their friends. So, you know, and seeing how excited they were for that project, I did think, oh, I think this is going to be okay, You know, um, I think I think we have a hit here. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, so I actually I want to ask a little bit about that because you were yeah. just talking about how like your family kind of like you said like it's you have this whole separate life for like your your mom, but like to everyone who's listening to this or like people who will come to you know your your book tour or anyone that'll go to like Y'all Fest and Y'all West, which you've also <laughs> co-created, like. Th- these are people who are like, oh my gosh, that's Melissa De La Cruz. I want to meet her. I want to interact with her, but. For, you know, your family, it's like, oh, it's, yeah, mom writes books. That's fun. But like you said, like when, when it's the descendants, I'm just thinking about like, if my niece knew this, I'm going to score so many brownie points by telling her that we're talking, (laughs) by the way. But like, how, like, did it feel, like you said, you could tell they kind of, you had a hit on your hand, but like, do you do that with some of your other books? Like, do you ask like the kids, like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do you think this is going to like resonate or is it was that sort of just like a moment in time because it was the descendants which was such like a phenomenon 
Yeah, no. Um, a couple of uh, Maddie's friends are my beta readers, and yeah. you know they sign NDAs and uh, and they give me their notes. So shout out to Whitney. Hey, Whitney. <laughs> you know, one of uh, I've known Whitney since she was in kindergarten, and she reads, uh, she reads my book. She's a big reader. So a bunch of you know my daughter. I think because I'm her mom. So I, I want to explain a little bit about how the work goes in, in our house. So yeah. in our house, we completely talk about the work as um, creative things. So we break down plots. We talk about character. We talk, you know, we talk about plot um, uh, problems all the time. So we talk about it as, you know, kind of this li- as the work, but we never talk about it as like, you know, the career, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I've got to do this or, oh, you guys have to be nice to me. I'm filming a commercial. You know, that whole part of the career is not at all, uh, you know, important in our house, but mm-hmm. actually making the books and, you know, talking about what makes a good book and what makes a good story um, is something that we always talk about at the dinner table. So I always joke that my kid is going to be a, a studio head because all she does is say, yes, no, that sucks. <laughs> that's good. Do that, mom. You know? <laughs> she she gives very good notes. So. Mm-hmm. Well, what uh, I feel like you need to be like, I imagine for someone who has like had level of success, you had it, and you do so much like the the writing and the you know the the film and TV stuff and you know things for Hallmark and all these different things. Like, I imagine that is probably really helpful just to have like a clear and concise like. I guess you're, you know, as you said, it's your daughter. She's like, sometimes, you know, teenagers don't really care if they hurt your feelings. So just being like, no, this part's bad. Don't, you got to get rid of this. Like I have to oh, yeah. be pretty helpful. Oh yeah. 100%, you know, <laughs> and especially with, uh, with them being in the age group right now of Maddie mm-hmm. and friends being in the age group that I write for. It's very, it's really interesting to kind of see ideas. So, you know, I, uh, there's a bunch of things that, you know, are inspired, you know, in the books from, you know, seeing how the kids relate to. But, you know, first and foremost, I write for myself, mm-hmm. you know, but definitely, you know, in Never After, we were going through a, a period where, uh, you know, uh, with bullying and, and the school told us, you know, there's no such thing as bullying. And I said, okay, you can just take away the word, but, you know, because I said, we don't call it bullying. I'm like, all right, but they're still bullying. Problem problem solved. You don't use the word. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for like, so for example, for your, your newest book, The Headmasters List, like, is you mentioned kind of going through plot problems and like story points with your daughter, but, and her friends. Do you run, because you said you write for yourself first, which I love. Um, do you run by like the story with, with her before you start? Like when you have an inkling of idea or I guess like at what point are you like, hey, uh, I want some younger eyes on this? Uh, very late, you know, not at all in the beginning. Uh, I think my beta readers get the book when it's actually, I think, going into copy edit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we have still, you know, when you go into copy edit, it's actually like the book has to be kind of locked. So I would say maybe the draft before copy edit, you know, before production, we, uh, I send them out. Um, and sometimes I forget, you know, it's a, I was like, oh, I forgot I made I got to send them the other books, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So I only, you know, I only ask for help when I can't solve it myself or I'm kind of choosing between two things, but, you know, I don't really, um, work with people 
in the idea stage. You know, those are all my mm-hmm. ideas. Those are, you know, how I think, you know, I always say I'm kind of like a dictator. And I think as an author, you have to be, <laughs> you know, really confident in, in mm-hmm. your story and your work. Before we we dive into your new book, I, I want to ask really quickly about, you know, because you're the you you're heavily involved in, in y'all fest and, and y'all west for people that, that don't know like in the the book kind of like conference space yeah. like those are two of just the biggest most like wonderful examples of people coming together to celebrate books was there like when you got involved with those those two you know incredible organizations uh, was that was there any connection between like being a like a room mom type of a situation and like <laughs> being so because I imagine like that has to be a little bit like herding cats too like being helping run these oh massive things yeah and, and I think you know you kind of hit the nail on the head uh, Margie uh, Margaret Stoll and I who run both festivals we we're both the room moms you mm-hmm. know and we both come from you know. Uh, backgrounds where we like to organize things and we like to throw things, you know, she used to run the Children's Hospital Gala. That was her big charity. And I think we took, uh, you know, uh, our uh, talents outside of writing, you know, into the festival. I think we're both kind of those joiners, those workers. Mm -hmm. And we like, you know, um, getting people together. And, you know, and and it was kind of... uh, you know, just fortuitous that we met, you know, Jonathan Sanchez at Blue Bicycle Books, who asked Margie, you know, once. So there used to be in Charleston, uh, a book festival called the Capital Book Fest mm-hmm. that was founded by or funded by the uh, by the National Endowment of the Arts. And when they cut a lot of the funding, the Capital Book Fest was one of the things that was cut. And it was so sad that that was cut because this beautiful book festival in Charleston. So. Jonathan asked uh, Margie, would you help, you know, uh, I want to do another book festival or something to replace the Capital Book Fest. She said, sure, but can it be uh, for YA? Because that's what I write. Mm-hmm. And so Margie asked me to get involved with that. And, you know, we just compliment each other a, a lot. Uh, we've been doing, I think this is our 13th year uh, in Charleston and I think our 10th in Los Angeles. So, um yeah, somebody said uh, we have the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, and the most functional marriage <laughs> of anybody they know. <laughs> you know? Well, <laughs> and on top, and on top of everything, like with directing, I have to. You mentioned, and it's something I've heard authors say hundreds of times about how writing is such a, a solitary thing. It's like I always think of it as like this very lonely, this very lonely process that brings people together eventually and like you know you your books have been read by millions of people but you don't see them reading them you you write the book you put that out in the world and like I have to imagine like you're you're literally we were just before we started recording you're talking about how you're you're just getting on on book tour and you're gonna get to meet all these people during that but like I have to imagine seeing thousands of people come together to celebrate books especially young adult books like that has to be extremely satisfying for you you strike me as a person who kind of feeds off that energy or is it or is it exhausting for you to partake in all this process of the the book world you know it's really exciting and it is really satisfying especially when we open uh y'all fest or y'all west in the big auditorium with a thousand people and Mm -hmm. everybody's screaming you know um and it's just you know just seeing all the readers being so excited it's it's 
such an uplift and, you know, all the kids that we bring in, because uh, one of the things that we do is uh, uh, bring in kids from Title I schools and uh, they're able to pick a book and buy a book uh, through our funding. And mm -hmm. most of these kids have never owned a book before. So that's really, really satisfying. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are just dead. We are just <laughs> so <laughs> Just where's that wheelbarrow? We're just going to collapse because, yeah, yeah, that energy, you know, is invigorating and then it just turns into exhaustion. So, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it, it is always that's one thing I like the pandemic. I've deeply missed. Like, I, I used to go to BookCon every year and get to yeah. like, see all these authors that I've like, you know, interviewed and become friends with. But like they it's like it's literally like watching rock stars in like the 70s. It's so cool to like like trying to go like say hi to Victoria Schwab and like I can't get to her because there's you know 90 people around her that are like wearing cat ears and trying to say hi yeah. but it is like yeah, I have to imagine like, like you said by the end of the day it's just like where is a bed and yes. a, a pillow for eight hours yeah no um, yeah. so can you uh give uh, my listeners a little bit of an introduction to the headmasters list which is your newest book that you are just getting ready to go share with the world Yes. So the headmaster's list uh, was actually inspired um, a little bit uh, about my experience as a mom in private school. <laughs> and the original idea for the book was I was going to write about the parents. Uh, and when I was writing uh, the proposal, you know, I kind of realized, oh, wait, I write for the kids. You know, why? Mm -hmm. Why is the camera on the moms? You know, I think I actually have to shift it and write about the kids. So so uh, it's fiction. Uh, but at our school, you know, the honor roll is called the headmaster's list. And uh, and then also at the yearly gala where we fundraise for school, there's a. Uh, um, a group of donors called the Headmaster Circle, which, you know, we always joke that, oh, the kids from the Headmaster Circle are also on the Headmaster's list. That's not the case at our school. <laughs> but then I thought, what if it was? What if it was the case at a school? What if, you know, being on the Headmaster's list was because your parent was a big donor, you know, and all the kind of the corruption behind that, you know, kind of with the Varsity Blues idea and also mm -hmm. just seeing just how competitive it is now for college. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of whacked out how crazy it's become. You know, people are talking about getting their kids ready for college in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my daughter's in 10th grade and everybody said, you should start, you should start. So, you know, we're quote starting, but, you know, a part of me is also just wants her to, you know, have fun and, mm -hmm. uh, and just, you know, kind of don't worry about your future so much. I feel, you know, even though I worked really hard in high school and I always tell her that was the hardest I've ever worked, um, was to try to get into an Ivy league school. Um, and I still stand by that. That was probably the hardest time of my life, uh, was, mm -hmm. you know, working that hard and feeling like I had to sacrifice so much because I wanted, you know, this kind of academic success, you know, not going to party, not being allowed to go to parties, not being, you know, being able to be social. And I've been kind of making up for it <laughs> for the rest of my life. My, my husband says, can we stop partying? It <laughs> <Like, laughs> was a long time ago. <laughs> you know, you're making up for something that you've made up for a long time ago. So the headmaster's list is about four kids. Uh, and, uh, three of them are on the headmaster's list. Uh, so, uh, and there's a big party at the end of the year 
and then there's a big uh, fatal, there's a very sad fatal car crash. So uh, Spencer, who's kind of this perfect, you know, scholarship kid, there's a lot of me and Spencer, you know, a lot of the things that she says about being, you know, the brown girl who's definitely felt that when I went to my private school because I was on scholarship and because we have this kid and we're so proud of her, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of this perfect, you know, kind of a, uh, academic kid and then her boyfriend Ethan who's kind of this golden boy soccer star you know rich kid from LA and he was driving and then there's Tabby who's non-binary whose parents were big donors uh, and she's on the headmaster's list too and then the boy who dies is Chris whom everybody loved but who had secrets of his own so you know kind of putting these characters you know uh, out in the world and, you know, having them, uh, Spencer, Spencer thinks that something else happened that night. So she's going to try to figure out what happened because, uh, she doesn't believe, uh, she has a feeling that it, it wasn't quite what everybody said. Like Ethan, you know, um, you know, cause Ethan's kind of taken the rap for it. Uh, and she was just like, well, you know, why, you know, so. So she's trying to figure out whether it was uh, something deliberate or, you know, something malicious. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm so curious when you, you know, a lot of the stuff you've written, like you said, it was, it's, it can lean into some like fantasy or stuff that maybe not is like directly connected to a like very similar world to the one we actually live in this is a story that is very much like could happen like you mentioned like you have the headmaster's list where you know the school that you're at like when you write something like this I'm just imagining like your daughter and your beta readers being like uh this is kind of close to home like did this feel closer to real life than than some other books that that you've written or are you able to just say like this is just a story I'm writing this has nothing to do with with anything else going on in the world. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just the seed of um, of that idea. But then it, it's really not my daughter's school at all and not at all based on anybody that we know. So it, it is very much fiction, you know. Mm-hmm. In a way, it was probably based on other schools <laughs> because I was probably feeling a lot more, uh, you know, the ability to say, you know, fictionalize that part because, you know, our school, you know, we are still there and, you know, we it, it's a little too close to our real life and you know you definitely want to um have a little bit of distance <laughs> mm-hmm. when you're writing fiction so yeah no it's 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 very very fictional and and one of the things that uh, you know one of the things that for me make it you know definitely oh it's definitely not our, our life at all is the two kind of teen podcasters so they have kind of a a serial killer uh, you know a murder uh, gossip podcast based in LA and at first I'd written them uh, as adults, you know, because I know a lot of uh, a lot of my friends have podcasts and I was kind of thinking, you know, that's that's who they were. But then, mm-hmm. you know, my editor said, does it make sense that these adults would be so obsessed with high school life and and high school? Then she was like, you know, maybe they should be um, high school kids. And I said, oh, my God, yes, of course, they should be high school kids. So, yeah, yeah. so we don't have a teen podcast. <laughs> at least that you know of. At least that you know of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And I and I do like I love that you're able to to tie that part in and like people. I I also love the uh, like the the description of the book. People say like for fans of like you know the only murders in the building type of situation because I do think having that connection of like the 
the crime podcast, those have become so prevalent in our life now. Like they're, yeah. it seems like anytime anything happens that, so like having that in there, it also, I imagine for you is, is a fun, like storytelling mechanism. Cause you can kind of step away from the story as like a, looking at it from a, a different angle. Is that like, was that intentional for you to be like, I want to be able to tell this in multiple avenues or was it just kind of throw like putting that in because it is something that is so prevalent in our society now? Uh, yeah, both. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. being able to tell the story um, from a fun kind of different way and having people kind of comment. You know, I, I do think like in our world of social media, it's just there's the story and then there's, you know, the comments, there's the recaps, there's people talking about it. You know, it's, it's that's kind of how we absorb media now, you know, mm-hmm. even with TV shows, like I'll watch a TV show and then I'll be like, oh, I can't wait to read the recap. You know, yeah. like, you know it's it's kind of a funny funny way that we all live now you know where it gets you know there's the main story but then there's also the stories of people telling it so it's kind of fascinating yeah I'm even worse than that I I will sometimes not even watch a show or a movie because it's like I'll just never get to it and I'll just go on like you know vice or the ringer or something and I'll just like read the review and reactions to it and be like like, I'll have no content or a concept of what they're talking about like I want to know what they thought about this particular movie so I'm even worse than you like I'll just sometimes read the review I won't even be like I wonder I'll just read that part I'm even worse right I mean no definitely definitely Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I, I always I always end every conversation by asking for a recommendation from the author it could be a book recommendation it could be a show uh it could be a you know, it could be anything you want to recommend. I've had some people recommend just like go for a walk. Like what is something that you want to recommend to people? Again, it could be a book, anything you want it to be, just like one recommendation that you want to leave my listeners with. Oh, absolutely. Oh, um, so I, I think it's become my other passion is to get everybody to read War and Peace. So War and Peace is my favorite, favorite book of all time. Um, I read it when I was 23 years old and deeply depressed. And I remember reading that book over a course of six months actually lifted me out of my depression. Mm -hmm. And it was the best, uh, you know, it was just such a great, it's a really long book. So I think people are like, I'm not going to read that doorstopper. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's war and peace. It's like so old, you know, and I always say you can skip all the war parts, you know, all, all the stuff about the military stuff. I was kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, you know, but it's about a family and it's about love. It's about love between a family, love between siblings. Like I'd never read a novel that was about, you know, a, a brother and a sister and that relationship and how wonderful that is. You know, I have a little brother and, and it was just so it's just about, you know, and it's about, it was, it's so wise about marriage, about love, about family. And then it's all these, you know, there's all these fabulous, you know, um, kind of Russian, you know, balls and parties and just, you know, but there's like, they're like in the sleigh in Russia on the, you know, in the snow and they're happy. It's just, you know, it's a book about happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what um, I really love about it. Like it's a book about happiness and, uh, and uh, and I would say, you know, yeah, you have to be a little older to read it because you've got to have the time and also um, the mentality. So I, I think that everybody in their 20s should read War and Peace. <laughs> I will say as a uh, as a person who has read, I have also read War and Peace. I'm a, oh, big, Russian, I'm a big Russian literature fan. Yes. And I will say you might be the first person to ever describe any famous <laughs> Russian literature book as about a book happiness. about happiness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
It's like you're not gonna like no one ever said that about crime and punishment. Like it's no, just never no. it's never gonna happen. Oh, that's a wonderful recommendation. This was so much fun. Melissa, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it's wonderful. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.